This is a Courageous Church podcast, equipping and empowering you to live a courageous life. Join us now as we listen to a message from Courageous Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. But today we're going to pick up right where we left off with John chapter 12, beginning in verse 3. It says this, And Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment that she had made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus. Say anointed. One of my very first messages in this series was Jesus being the anointed one. The word anointed means to be covered and smothered. It's like what you do with your country style gravy and mashed potatoes at Thanksgiving. You just cover and smother those suckers, right? Those of you that like that. I love gravy. I love sauce. So I, I, I admit I'm a, I'm a sauceaholic, a and uh, I love to cover and smother. And that's the picture of anointing. It's, it's taking the oil. And in the Old Testament, they would take the oil and they would anoint the kings with it and it would flow down their beard. And there's actually a verse in Psalm chapter 133 that talks about uh, how sweet and how pleasant it is for the brothers and sisters of God to dwell together in unity because in that place, the Lord commands a blessing and it's like the oil dripping down from Aaron's beard. It covers and it smothers and it just gets all over the place. And that's the picture here. Mary has taken this expensive ointment and she's anointed the feet of Jesus. She's just poured it out. She's made a mess at the feet of Jesus today. And it says this, and not only did she anoint the feet of Jesus, but then she proceeded to wipe his feet with her hair. Now, I don't know about some of you guys that are married, but um, I'm not necessarily a foot person. Candace is not necessarily a foot person. We, we don't really need the other person uh, touching our feet with their hair. And uh, you know what I'm saying? Some of you are like feet people. Um, but in this day and age, like this was, this was a huge uh, cultural risk that she was taking to do this. And we're going to talk about why that is in a second. But then it goes on to say something very specific and very peculiar that I want us to actually hone in on. And it says this, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. The top of my message today, for those of you that are taking notes, is Jesus is the fragrant one. Jesus is the fragrant one. Looking at the text, Mary sees this moment. As you guys know who've been journeying with us, Lazarus has just been raised back to life. And they're back at his house and they're having a party and they're reclining at the table, Jesus with all of his crew, all of his friends. And Mary sees this as an opportunity to, to honor Jesus, to love on Jesus. So she goes and she grabs this expensive ointment, this amazing perfume that, that the Bible says is made from pure nard. This was really costly. Okay. This would have been like uh, equal to like a year's worth of wages. Um, one of the texts actually says that. And she grabs it and she begins to just anoint his feet. And then she grabs her hair and she begins to just, just rub it into his feet with her hair. So she's pouring out this costly gift, this gift that actually cost her something. It's the best that she can give. And not only is she pouring out her gift, but she's thrown herself into the mix. She's put her own hair, her own dignity, a symbolic picture of her, her worth as a woman. In fact, at this time, it's understood, most commentators would say that, that women would have held their hair up because to let down your hair was a symbol of, in some ways, sexuality. Um, it, it would have been like um, hiking up your skirt all the way to the top of your thighs, ladies. That's what she's doing here culturally. She's risking it all to be misunderstood as a promiscuous woman 
as a woman who doesn't care about her reputation to worship Jesus. Did you catch that? She's risking it all to worship Jesus. And she doesn't care what people think about her. And I'm sure there were people there that were shocked by this. Like, what is she doing? How shameful, how scandalous. I mean, does Mary have no shame? And I would say to us, and to answer that rhetorical question, Mary has no shame because she's safe and secure with Jesus. She's without shame because of who she's with. And when you're with Jesus, I believe the invitation is, is the same. It's to let go of your shame. It's to let go of your guilt. It's to, it's to risk everything, including your own reputation, to worship a king. So Mary pours out her gift and she puts her hair in the mix and she's doing this to honor the one who is the only one who can take away our shame and who can remove the stain. And she's worshiping Jesus in a way that may even seem undignified. You guys remember David in the Old Testament when he dressed, dressed in his linen ephod and he stripped down to just the ephod and he danced before the ark of the Lord and he brought the presence of God back into the city of Jerusalem after the ark had been captured by the Philistines and it had not been in Jerusalem for some time. And so what does he do? He begins to worship Jesus in a way that seems undignified. And his wife, who's up in her high perch, is looking down at David and she begins to judge him in her heart. And she's like, how shameful, how scandalous. Like, has this king no decency, right? And I would say to answer that rhetorical question, no, because he's in the presence of the one who removes all shame, who removes all guilt, who, who is, is not afraid to make you look a little foolish because you know that you're free. And I would say to those of us today that aren't free and that are still worried about what other people think, that Jesus' invitation is always to move beyond what other people think of you. In fact, Jesus would go on to say some very strong things like, you know, unless you're, you're willing to leave your father and your mother and your brother and sister, then you're not worthy of me. And, and culturally, in a Jewish context in the first century, that was a no-no. You didn't leave your family behind. The family stuck together. You know, when old people got old, you didn't put them in a convalescent home or assisted living center. No, you kept them in the family. So there was a real strong sense of, of family. And to leave your family to follow Jesus means to risk your reputation, means to risk people misunderstanding you, means to risk everything. So the question I want to start with today is, is the same. When you worship Jesus, are you concerned about what other people think? Are you concerned or afraid of what people might say about you? Or are you more concerned about what Jesus says about you and what he thinks about you? Most of the breakthroughs that I've had in my spiritual life have come during worship, have come through moments where I've opened my heart to worship the Lord in an extravagant way, in a way that's not dependent upon what people think or not restricted by what people might say. And when you do this, when you begin to focus your heart and you begin to focus your energy and you begin to focus your life and you begin to focus your song and your singing and your work and everything that you do as unto the Lord, you begin to worship a king who is worthy of your song, like we were singing about today, who is worthy of the best that you can bring. And here Mary is, and she's brought the best that she can bring. And she's not afraid to waste it all on Jesus. And I love this image. And for those of you that know this story, it's a beautiful story. So before we get to Jesus' response, I want you to notice this interesting detail. And I've already pointed out to you, but it's in verse 3. And it says this, that the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Yesterday, Candace and I 
It was her birthday, by the way, on, uh, on Thursday. And uh, we got to go and, and celebrate by hanging out. We went uh, downtown for uh, a lunch yesterday and we were just walking around the mall at, at City Creek. You guys ever do that? Just kind of walk around and just looking at the decor, the, the decorations, the Christmas stuff. And we walked into Nordstrom and, and she was trying out all these different perfumes. And for those of you that like perfume, you know like there's like so many different scents out there, right? And, and what was she really concerned about? She was concerned about trying to find the, the perfume or the fragrance that I was gonna like, right? Because I have to live with her. <laughs> Men, you gotta, you, know, you gotta find a fragrance that you like. Women, you gotta find a deodorant that you, that you like because you gotta live with him. And so we're going through the store and she's trying all these fragrances. And I love the picture of just, I, as I'm thinking about it, my wife just spraying it and then just walking into it. Like, oh, do you like that? <laughs> just coming into the, 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 the cloud of the fragrance of the perfume. And um, after like seven or eight different perfumes, I was like, <laughs> I, gotta, I gotta go sit outside, sorry. I was sneezing, my eyes were watering, you know. It was a lot of fun. But I want you to kind of see that image of like the house being filled with the perfume, the fragrance that, that this, this woman, this, this Mary has poured out on her, her Savior, her Messiah Jesus. And it's powerful and it's, costly. It's, it's a scent that begins to overwhelm all the other scents in the house. And I'm sure there were some good ones because there was a beautiful meal taking place. So that means fresh bread, right? Probably some wine or, or, or something, uh, you know, that they were able to get access to. Um, so there's all these other scents and all these other smells, but then she cracks open her fragrance and it overwhelms every other fragrance in the house. which tells me that our worship is meant to be something that overwhelms all the other fragrances in our house. So let me ask you today, how's the fragrance of your house? I don't mean naturally, I mean spiritually speaking today. Is it full of worship? Is it full of, of your, your, your worship unto Jesus? Is it full of your most costly gift? And I would say to us, if, if it isn't, then this is an opportunity for you to begin to shift some things and some priorities in your home. Regardless of whether you have a roommate or you're living in a dorm or you got a house or wherever you are, you have the ability to set the atmosphere in your home. And I think this is really, this is really powerful. I think environments and atmospheres do a lot within our lives. And here we see Mary and she's opened this, this perfume and it's changed the atmosphere of the house. It's changed. It's consumed every other scent. And I think this means it's powerful. I think this means that our worship is, is something that we sometimes often underestimate. And, and maybe you have one of those voices that only Jesus loves, right? You only like to be heard in the shower or when you're in the bathroom, and that's okay. But sing and offer up your worship to God and watch how the atmosphere begins to shift and change. For me, I'm a real big believer in this because I noticed, and I, and I learned this young, uh, as a young child, there, there were moments where my mom would put on worship, and I was a child of the 80s, so I, I grew up in the 80s, which was a great era for music. There's a lot of great music, you know? And I, I could sense when she would turn off Michael Jackson and when she would put on praise and worship, I could sense the change in the atmosphere. I could, I could sense a palpable change in, in our house. The minute... My mom began to do that. And now even with my kids, there, there'll be times where I'll come home and they're just fighting or they're just bickering or they're just, you know, doing what teenagers do. They get in arguments or whatever. And I'm like, you know what? Let's, let's shift the atmosphere. 
Let's put on some worship. Let's put on some praise. And it's almost like immediately the scent of that fragrance and that perfume begins to overwhelm all of the chaos and confusion, all the other things and scents that are already existing in the space. And that's the picture here. And that's what we see with Mary. So our worship is powerful, but our worship is also meant to be costly. It's meant to cost us something, which tells me that our worship will always be inexplicably linked to our giving, to our giving. Listen to what Jesus says about your giving and how it's linked to your worship in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. He says this, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is why Jesus, all throughout the New Testament, speaks a lot about money. In fact, 11 of his parables are actually involving money, which is really interesting. And I think Jesus does this because he knows how, how much our hearts get wrapped up in our checkbook or in our, in our wallets. He knows that where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. And because he knows that our heart is connected to our giving, he knows that sometimes the only way that he can get our heart is through our giving, right? Is by addressing the way that we deal with and steward our treasure, our resources, our wealth. And this is why, you know, you guys have heard me, those of you who have been with us for a while, at Courageous Church, one of our core values as a people is to be lavish in generosity. We believe in a lifestyle of generosity because we believe this is a heart issue. This is, this is a worship issue, right? The way that I tip my barista at my local coffee shop is a worship issue. The way that you tip your, your barber or stylist is a worship issue. The way that you, the way that you tip your server at a restaurant is a worship issue. The way that you, you value money is a worship issue. And it's always amazing to me the things that we value and the things that we'll spend money on, many of us, right? It's because our treasure and our heart are connected. They're linked. Jesus knows this, and that's why he's after our heart, because he knows that he has to touch our treasure in order to have it. So, we can't truly worship Jesus. We can't truly worship him, I believe, without giving him our first and our best. Our first and our best. And in the scriptures, it actually speaks of this as the first fruit offering. It actually talks about this with regards to the tithe. The tithe is often called um, the 10%, right? It's, it's, a, it's an offering that you give that's 10% of your income. But actually, early in scripture, it was known as the first fruit offering. And the reason it was called this is because it was the first thing that you gave when you had your harvest. So most of, of civilization has been agrarian. So it's been, you know, farmers and people uh, learning how to plant vineyards and basically profiting from the land. And so when a farmer would, would get his crops or would, would bring in his harvest in this day, if he was a good, biblical, faithful Israelite, he would take a 10% of that, of that harvest, whatever it is, whether it was grain or whether it was apples or whatever, and he would give 10% of that to the Lord. And in doing that, he was saying, God, all of this is from you. All of this is yours. Like, you've given me this. In fact, I wouldn't have anything if you didn't send the rain and if you didn't cause the seeds to grow, right? And, and there's... there's there's a time where, we're, where we become more aware of that when we lack or when we're going through drought or seasons of famine, right? Where we, we're, we're extra sensitive to the fact that we need God to provide. 
And so the tithe or the first fruit offering is the biblical way that we honor God by we acknowledging where we acknowledge him and acknowledge his provision in our life, where we acknowledge that everything that we have is from him. And this is a big reason why we practice tithing. It, it reminds us of where our provision come, comes from. It honors God's presence in our life. And I would encourage you, if you've never worshiped Jesus in this way, if you've never honored God with your tithe, the tithe can be scary, especially when you're in debt, come on. Especially when you've got bills, come on. Especially when you're not sure where your next paycheck's gonna come from. Come on, I've been there. I know exactly how that feels. But I would encourage you, if you've never tried this or worshiped Jesus this way, to try it. In fact, it's interesting to me that in all of Scripture, it's the only place where God says that you can test him. I want you guys to listen to this. Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 through 12 says this. And will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you, God? Like, how have I been the thief, Lord? And he says in his response, in your tithes and contributions or in your giving. Because of this, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me the whole nation of you. Therefore, verse 10, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. Put me to the test. This is the only place where God says you can test him. You know why? Because he knows this is the one place where we're the most afraid to test him. (laughs) <laughs> where we're, we're not sure. If I give that 10%, what, am I gonna, what, what happens if I don't have enough? That is the root fear behind why we don't tithe. But Jesus says, and God says through his scripture here, put me in the test, says the Lord, and see that I will not open up the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Until there is no more need. One of the reasons why we experience lack is because we're actually not tithing. And he says that if you trust me in this and you test me in this, I'll open up the windows of heaven for you and pour down a blessing so that there's no more lack and no more need. And he goes on to say, I will rebuke the devourer for your sake so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. And then verse 12, here's the outcome. And I love this. All nations will call you blessed for you will be a land of delight. We can go to that next verse. And then you will be a land of delight. And I've emboldened that word, a land of delight, because this is a picture of blessing. This is a picture of fruitfulness. This is a picture of having more than enough, of not having any lack, of not having any need. And I believe that if we would be willing to trust God and test God in this way, that we could experience this reality. Can I tell you something? I have experienced this firsthand. Not because I'm a preacher and this is what the word of God says, but because I've tested God and I've seen him. I've seen him more than than open up the window of heaven and more than pour out a blessing on my life and on my wife and on my children. The goal is not just so that you'll be blessed. God's wanting your life to be blessed. But the goal is so that you can then be blessed to be a blessing. Right, so that you can be a land of delight, so that all nations will see and be impacted by your ability to give, by your ability to be fruitful and multiply. And that's really the blessing of God that's upon human beings from the very start of the garden. Be fruitful and multiply. God is always wanting to add and bring multiplication into our life. 
That's why he says, go and make disciples. He's, he's all about that multiplication. That's why he says, test me in this, tithe and, and bring the full tithe in my storehouse and see that I won't bless you so much so that the nations will call you blessed and you'll be a land of delight. That's a beautiful picture of what happens when we worship God with our giving. And that's essentially what Mary has done here. She's brought her best and her most costly gift to the feet of Jesus and she's opened up her heart and she's opened up her home and she's brought her best and she's brought it to Jesus and this has caused quite a stir. Your giving always will, by the way. Verse four. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray Jesus, said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Right, and I, I can say this as a local church pastor, I, I receive this criticism and see this criticism all the time on social media, on Twitter, on Facebook, and so forth. Oh, just think of what we could do with all that money. Right? If we could just help the poor, if we could just help the humanitarian causes, if we could just save the planet, if we could just help the whales, if we could just change the climate, if we could just, right? And there's just always going to be more needs. But I want you to notice what Judas says here, what Mary's doing here, and then what Jesus says. So Judas says, verse 6 says that he said this not because he actually cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. Whoa, all right, now we're starting to get somewhere. And he was a thief having charge of the money bag that he used to help himself to, regardless of what was put in it. So Mary's busy worshiping Jesus. Judas is busy robbing God, being a thief. As John points out, he's a thief and he's not actually really concerned about the needs of the poor, is he? He's not concerned about Mary, we know that. And unfortunately, he's not even concerned about Jesus. He's missed the forest for the trees because here is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, God himself, Emmanuel, the Prince of Peace, Jesus, Yeshua, the Messiah, the Saving One. He's sitting there and Judas is missing it. He's Missing Jesus because, as it turns out, Judas is really only concerned about himself. He's looking out for number one. And as a result, the text tells us here that Judas is stingy. And he's hiding behind the poor. And he's hiding behind these excuses. He's the guy at the party who's always pointing out what other people aren't doing. You ever met that person? Who's always pointing out what could be done better? Well, oh, you know, you know what they should have done? You know, you know what they really should have done is this, right? They're the person always kind of pointing out what could be done better, and they're the one that's never contributing a single thing. The loudest, most critical voices are usually the ones that contribute the least. Can I tell you, in, in the 20 years I've been in ministry, the people that complain the most usually contribute the least because they don't have any skin in the game. That's why it's easy for us to criticize the players that are actually playing when we're sitting on the sofa. <laughs> I did, this happens all the time in my house, especially around bowl season, like college football season. You know, I'm, I'm on my couch, not putting in any work, not contributing a thing. And I'm like, that guy's stupid. He's an idiot. What was he thinking? Right? It's always the, the one who contributes the least that's the loudest and most critical. And that's Judas here, unfortunately. He's hiding 
He's camouflaged himself in Jesus' disciples as a faithful follower. Meanwhile, he's been helping himself to the purse. He's been cutting it into the bag. It's crazy. Which is why Jesus says what he says next in verse 7. He rebukes him. He says, leave her alone so that she may keep what she has given me for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. Now, Jesus here is speaking of his soon coming death, and he's acknowledging what Mary has done as a prophetic proclamation, or you could say a prophetic preparation of the burial to come, right? When Jesus is going to be crucified and buried. And he tells Judas that the poor, those that Judas is obviously so concerned about, he'll always have with him, but that Jesus won't always be with him. What a sobering remark. What a, what a startling statement. Could you imagine Jesus saying he's not always going to be with you? That, that should terrify us. That should terrify Judas, but Judas doesn't get the hint. And we know later in the story how Judas's story ends. He hangs himself in guilt over what he's done, over the way that he has not worshipped Jesus, but rather stole from him and, and sold him out. It's a tragic end for Judas, and it's, it can be a tragic end for many people if they live a life that robs God, a life of stinginess, a life of excuses, a life that hides behind why I can't give. So as a result, what do we do? We, we choose other things over Jesus. We choose the money over Jesus. We choose the latest cause over Jesus. We choose the spouse over Jesus. We choose the job over Jesus. We choose other things besides Jesus. And as a result, our houses aren't full of the fragrance of the Lord's presence because we're not worshiping the fragrant one. Like Judas, we're really worshiping ourselves. And that should caution us today. But if you want your house to be full of the Lord's fragrant presence, then you gotta worship the fragrant one. You gotta worship Jesus. So how do we do that? Well, as I've already pointed out, we can do that with our treasure. We can do that with our giving, with our money and with our resources. But we also do that with our time and with our talents and even with our gifts. The truth is Mary could have chosen to use her time differently. She could have chosen not to worship Jesus and spend all that time at his feet, pouring out her gift and her offering and wiping his feet with her hair. But she chose to worship at the feet of Jesus. She chose to spend her time worshiping. So let me ask you, what do you spend your time doing? <laughs> Outside of your work and your job, what do you spend your time doing? Do you always find yourself attending to the next task or the next project? Do you find yourself always caught up in the future? Or do you sit at the feet and worship Jesus? For many of us, especially those of us here in the West where we derive a lot of our value from our work, from the things that we do, we get our value defined by uh, the money that we make or how well we please our boss or how productive we are. This is hard because it, it, it distorts our worship and it helps us not to see how we can actually utilize our time to better worship our king. But I'll say this, your true value is not defined by your, your work or by what you do. Your true value is defined by the one that you worship. The one that you worship. So we worship him with our with our treasure and we worship him with our time when we spend time with the Lord. And maybe for you, that's just keeping it practical. Maybe it's on the, the way of work, just putting on you know, some worship music and just 
thanking Jesus for all the things he's done for you or is doing for you. Or maybe it's just having a day or a moment or a quiet time with God. There are many ways that you guys can do this, and I'm not prescribing that it should be any specific way for everyone. It's not a one-size-fits-all approach, but find time to be intentional. God has given us so much time. Can we not agree? If you open up your smartphone and look at how much time you spend on social media, you have time. <laughs> you have plenty of time. When you look at your Netflix account and how many shows you've been binge-watching, I got to get to that next season. I got to catch up on 16 episodes, right? You have time to worship. It's a matter of value. So we worship with our treasure. We worship with our time. And then we also can worship him with our talents and gifts, which brings me to my final point. What talents or gifts has God given you today that you can serve him and honor him with, that you can worship him with? The truth is everyone is talented in some area. And if someone told you that you're stupid or that you're dumb or that you're not talented, that's a bold-faced lie. Everyone is talented in some area. Everyone's good at something. Amen? For some of you, you're really incredibly crafty and inventive. And God's given you the invitation to worship him in that way. I love my daughter, Cora, because she's so creative. She paints and she draws and she creates art. And in doing that, I told her, I said, Cora, you know, you're worshiping Jesus with this gift. You're using it to bring glory and honor to him. That's powerful. And that's awesome. So for those of you that are crafty, that like to, to knit or stitch, or, or maybe you like to build things, some of you that like to work with your hands, carpenters, those of you that like to get in the garage and tinker and just build, see that as an opportunity to worship Jesus, to honor Jesus, your talents and your gifts in that way. For some of you that are more musical or, or that are more artistic, you can worship and honor Jesus with those gifts. For those of you that are really social and relational, you're socialites, you love to party. Come on, you can use those gifts for hospitality. Invite people over to your home. Cook a meal for them, for those of you who like to cook. You can actually honor Jesus with your talents and gifts by inviting people into your home. I think it's, it's one of the most overlooked ministries in our church. So men, women, if you have those talents, I'm, I am summoning you to the table of the ministry of cooking and serving and hospitality. Don't overlook the opportunity that you have to be in this place to be able to offer that ministry to other people. There's a lot of people here that I know, I know most of your stories, that don't have family and friends. I know uh, Jen opened up her house for Thanksgiving. That was awesome. Just extending that ministry, right? Using those talents and those gifts. I like to cook, so what, what should I do? Cook for Jesus. <laughs> I like to golf, so what should I do? Golf with Jesus. And invite somebody that doesn't know Jesus to join you. And watch what God does. It's powerful. Sometimes I think we over-spiritualize the simplicity of the spiritual life. God didn't ask everybody to go off to seminary and become a monk for 10 years and translate the Bible from Greek and Latin into English. No. He did call some people and thank God for those people. I wouldn't want to be one of them. It's <laughs> a lot of pressure. But for those of you that have those talents and gifts, don't overlook what God's given you. And especially within this church, we're not an incredibly uh, huge church, but there's an opportunity for many of you to get to know each other and to invite each other out to lunch and invite each other into each other's homes. I know for some of you, you know, you may not feel like you have the ability to do that. So ask somebody to go to lunch with you, right? Don't overlook that ministry and that gift and that talent that God's given you, because I believe you can even honor Jesus that way. And when we honor Jesus in that way, we're worshiping. 
That's why the Bible says, let everything you do, even your work, be as unto the Lord. See, it's all about the posture of your heart. It's all about the attitude of your heart. We had some people invite us over to their home uh, this week, and we, and we got to do some, some really awesome food. And I was like, man, that was, that was good. And I left feeling really full, both like my belly and my soul. <laughs> and I was like, that was good. That was, that was good. So don't overlook that. The Bible says it this way in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, if we can put it up there. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received from God to serve others and to do so as faithful stewards, that's right, stewards or managers of God's grace in its various forms. Each of you should use whatever gift you've been given by God to bless other people. And that's what we're talking about today, being blessed to be a blessing, worshiping Jesus with the things that cost us, the things that are powerful. When you worship Jesus with your talents and with your gifts, you're stewarding well the grace of God, regardless of how it shows up in your life. And as I've already mentioned, it's gonna be different for every person. It's gonna be different. But that should be the goal of all of our lives if, and this is the big if, if we want the presence of the fragrant one to fill our lives. I don't know about you guys, but that's what I want. I want the fragrance of God to be on my life. I want people around me to be like, man, he smells like Jesus. <laughs> the oily one, <laughs> the covered and smothered one. He smells good, right? And not just because I'm wearing a nice cologne, but because I've been around Jesus, because I've been around the fragrant one. If we want the presence of the fragrant one to fill our house, then we have to worship him. I hope that's your heart's desire today. As we head into the holidays and into the Christmas season, it's easy to get sort of wrapped up in the holiday busyness, the shopping and the parties and the hustle and the bustle. But can I just give you permission as your loving pastor today? Don't get caught up in all of that. Take moments to breathe exhale, to be thankful, to allow your heart to be full of the wonder of Christmas, of who Jesus is and wants to be in your life, and find time and make time to worship at his feet, to honor him with your talents and your treasure and your time. Amen? Thank you for listening today. If you were blessed and you want to be a part of what God is doing through Courageous Church, including ways that you can give, visit us online at CourageousChurch.com.